Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Good morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Erin Baker. I am the women's pastor here, and it is so good to see so many of your faces here in Happy Valley. Hi also to those of you watching from our Sandy and Vancouver campuses, to those watching online or listening to our podcast. So glad you are with us for week two of what is shaking out to be a pretty fun series, I think. Summer playlist, finding God in the music around us. Hopefully you have your journals, and we are in, yes, again, week two. So much of life we tend to categorize as being Christian or secular, secular, secular. (laughs) Hopefully what this series does is illuminate for you the truth that uh, God can scatter his truth wherever he wants, including that which we may label and categorize as being secular. Last week, Pastor Bob Tim kicked us off in this series with a song by Rise Against. If you could hear from the bumper, today's sermon was inspired by Natasha Bedingfield's Unwritten, which, by the way, is actually real time on my playlist. This did release in 2004, which was my high school graduation year. Uh, Maybe if you're like me, it stirs up all sorts of feelings of nostalgia. Maybe it is forever linked to the hit MTV show, The Hills which was like what birthed uh, reality TV, Lord help us all. Um, If you're like me, I mean, maybe you're like, yes, release inhibitions, be free. If you're like me though, this does not actually come naturally. And so part of why I love this song is because it pushes me outside of my natural wiring or leanings. Let's look at what Natasha Bedingfield so beautifully sings. I break tradition. Sometimes my tries are outside the lines. We've been conditioned to not make mistakes, but I can't live that way. Staring at the blank page before you, open up the dirty window, let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. Release your inhibitions. Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. No one else can speak the words on your lips. Drench yourself in words unspoken, live your life with arms wide open. Today is where your book begins. The rest is still unwritten. It kind of makes you wanna like, I can't not. Okay, Natasha sounds so free. No, I don't know her, we're not on first name basis, but okay. I want to be friends with her because I hear this freedom in her voice and I want that freedom too. And I believe that freedom is out there for the taking and we're invited into it. By nature, I'm a rule follower. Uh, As a young child, to best illustrate, I gotta take you back to like when I was nine. Um, It's that time of year, back to school shopping, right? You parents know that Fall is coming, school is coming, summer's almost over, kids grow like weeds, and so it's time to take inventory of what no longer fits and uh, get some new stuff. Well, I was one of four, we each had a budget, and we got to go one-on-one with my mom. It was a very special time of shopping for our essentials, but if we got to the end of our budget and we were wise with the money we had, we had enough left for non-essentials the first day of school, always in a photo outfit. 
This is what I was with my mom shopping for. I remember getting to two final options. I loved them both. They were both about the same price range. They both practically made sense. I grew up in Southern California, so it's summer always, so it was like short sleeves. And Anyway, they were both appropriate, great options, and I just turned to my mom and said, okay, mom, I love them both. Tell me which one to, one to pick. I want to pick the right one. I want to make the right choice, so tell me what one to get. She's like, well, Aaron, there's not a right choice in this situation. Just pick the one you like, well, but I like them both. Well, but pick the one that's more comfortable, but they're both comfortable. Well, what one do you want? She was maybe in there 45 minutes to an hour with me. I, a less patient mom, would have been like, you're getting this one, let's go. Not her. She really wanted and continued to create opportunities and space for me to have this little wrestle and this little struggle. And if you're thinking, you were a piece of work as a young person. <laughs> you're right. Uh, I did finally make a choice. And what it was, it was a navy with sunflowers, cotton vest and a matching culotte skirt. Anyone else from the 90s? Hindsight, after all that, it was still the wrong choice. <laughs> I looked high and low for this photo. I sent a text to my mom asking if she could look through some books. It has disappeared, it has vanished. I'm sorry to say, I will not be embarrassing myself this morning, but I have kept the tradition of back to school shopping alive with my daughter, and I have some of those photos, so I brought them. <laughs> this is Charlotte. She has never taken more than five seconds to decide on the wonderful outfit she will assemble <laughs> and wear on that first day. I love how we're different and I see the freedom she has to boldly step out. She just, <laughs> she can rock anything. And I love that this young girl is able to boldly and confidently live out her preferences. When it came to big things, I was never one to have the right answer spoon-fed to me. Still am not, and wasn't then. I asked a lot of hard questions. I'm a believer that uh, no truth becomes untrue because of asking questions. Actually, if you take something true and you put it under a microscope and you ask and you ask and you ask, and it becomes untrue, then it was never true. Are you tracking? So. I have found truth in Jesus, and I have asked questions for a long time, and he continues to reveal his truth to me, for which I am grateful. But in life, how this can manifest uh, for me in decisions where we have freedom to, to choose, uh, I have been paralyzed. Uh, it has crippled me, actually, and this is not God's best for me. This is not what living in freedom looks like. Galatians 5:13 says, "You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. In Christ we are free. We might get things wrong, but we are free to dare greatly and love extravagantly." Today we are gonna look at three characters in scripture who lived the words to this song and as a result dramatically changed the course of their lives. In fact, I would go so far to say if they did not dare greatly and make bold decisions, we would likely not be reading their stories today. The Bible characters we will be looking at are Ruth, David, and Daniel. Whether you are familiar with these characters or not, my hope is that you will see these characters with fresh eyes and new perspective through the lens of Natasha Bedingfield's song, Unwritten. 
Hopefully you brought your Bible today, a physical Bible or an app on your phone. Either way, um, you can turn to or just listen along. Ruth 1, Samuel 17, and Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you are like an A-plus student and you brought all your bookmarks and are going to get there, that's great. I'm, we're going to start in Ruth, have that um, open. I mean, that's the priority. And then the other two I will put on the screen if you cannot get to it. But this is where we'll be if you want to uh, bookmark and go back later. Each book is down in the Old Testament. Feel free to follow along or just listen. Um, before we dive into Ruth, I want to give a little bit of background. A man named Elimelech is married to a woman named Naomi. They live in Judah, and they have two sons. Because of a terrible famine, they move to Moab with their two sons. And while living there, they're there long enough to where their sons plant roots and meet women, and they marry two Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah, who are we, we are gonna be looking at today. There was on and off tension and conflict between Moab and Israel. I came across this summary from archeologist and university professor Bruce Rutledge saying Israel and Moab shared kinship, history, language, institutions, and theology, and this closeness often led to competition and strife between the two peoples. Being just like us made the Moabites dangerous to Israelite identity. Assimilation was always a threat. So in trying to think of like a practical example, we are in the greater Portland area, and it got me thinking about the West versus the East ciders. If you are here uh, from the east and you're invited to something in Hillsboro or Beaverton, it's like, oh, traffic over there, right? It's terrible. If you are from the west side, um, how do I explain it? I can't <laughs> put my finger on it. Uh, I'm only teasing, sort of. I, my first job here had a coworker from Lake Oswego and she was so kind, I still love her to death. She offered me a ride home because my car was in the shop and she you know, said, where do you live? She was plugging it into her GPS. So I said Clackamas. She's like, Clackamas, I've never heard of it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you weren't, you're not from here? She's like, no, born and raised in Lake Oswego. I'm like, you're lying or you're just trying to pretend you haven't heard of Clackamas. Clackamas is the bomb, plug it into your GPS. I'm telling this to get an idea, you know, we're separated from a body of water. Lake Oswego is like as far east as you can get on the west side, but it's still on that west side, right? And this is a similar tension. It doesn't really scratch the, the surface, but um, it gives you a little bit of an idea. So they've moved there. They've been staying on the east side for a while. Um, Elimelech and his two sons die. So Naomi and Ruth and Orpah are left as widows. This is where we're picking up in verse 6 if you want to follow along. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, as in the famine is over, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. I included a map. Just, I mean, it's really just right there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. When Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Which hopefully in that dead husbands, like those are her kids. Uh, you can hear the pain and the grief and the bitterness even uh, in Naomi's voice. She is certainly a straight shooter. 
And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Don't miss this blessing that Naomi is releasing them and giving them permission uh, to begin a new life separate from her. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who become, could become your husbands? So if that sounds strange, we gotta look at the crucial um, uh, historical context of that time, which is that a woman's value and uh, social status and financial well-being was directly linked to being a wife and a mother. Um, Deuteronomy 25.5 explains it pretty plainly. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Uh, it was a duty and a caring for the widow to marry her. But with both brothers being dead, it made the most sense for the women to stay where they were and marry like any chance they got, which would be a miracle. Let's continue on in verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth breaks tradition. Her decision is outside the lines. At best, she's going to a foreign land and will be considered a foreigner or outsider, at worst, an enemy, because the tension was higher than east side, west side Portland. This was a big deal in their culture, but she was committed to Naomi, and she wanted to pursue and follow after the God of Israel. What about Orpah? Jewish Rabbi David Rosenfeld writes, Orpah was one of so many almosts. Throughout history, people who strove for greatness and immortality but who failed to hang on instead fading into anonymity. Orpah made the seemingly right choice given her circumstances. She wasn't terrible for leaving Naomi. She made a culturally appropriate decision to return to her people, but as a result, disappears from the story forever. When God calls us to something great, but we are unwilling to release our inhibitions to follow him, our lives become scattered with almosts. Orpah almost went with Naomi. They started that journey together, her daughters with her. What have you almost done that could have been extraordinary? Have you almost pursued that passion? Have you almost forgiven that family member? Have you almost stopped to help that person who needed help? What's your almost? If you continue to read the story of Ruth, God orchestrates a truly remarkable redemption story through a man named Boaz. Together they have a son, Obed, who is the father to David, as in King David, and this Moabite woman, Ruth, becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, that gives me chills every time. <laughs> She's willing to release her inhibitions. 
She breaks the traditions of her time and culture. She lives with arms wide open and co-authors a truly remarkable story, one that we get to read about in the Bible, in a book named after her. Fun fact, only two books in the Bible are named after women. Ruth is one of those women. Flip to the very next book in your Bible, 1 Samuel. We are gonna read about another ordinary person that becomes extraordinary when he releases his inhibitions and risks greatly. So some uh, history and cultural context here. First and second Samuel, these books tell about a time of transition in uh, Israel's history where power shifted from judges to kings. Saul was the first king to rule when David, a shepherd boy, shows up on the scene and hears that a Philistine giant is needing to be defeated, but no one from the Israelite army would step up to fight him. This is where we are picking up uh, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. The Lord who rescued me from the, power, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. If you were to continue reading the story, David defeats Goliath and he eventually becomes king himself, reigning immediately after Saul. David was not born into royalty. He entered life as a humble shepherd bravely and boldly steps out and becomes king to a dynasty. If you were to continue reading the story of David, you would go on to read about several large moral failures. This uh, one I'm gonna tell you about, we're not gonna flip to it, but David at one point as king sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, bathing on a rooftop. He inquires about her. He finds out her name. He finds out that she's married. Uh, he finds out that who she's married to is one of his own very faithful warriors away at battle, currently fighting for him. And as king, he decides to summon her anyway. She is brought to him. He forces himself on her. And to make matters worse, when he learns that she is pregnant after this horrific incident, David orders that her husband be moved to the front line of battle so that he is murdered and David's own sin covered up. This is not the type of releasing of inhibitions that brings freedom. But maybe that's you today. Maybe you can relate to David and his moral failures. Maybe it's one bad choice you made recently. Maybe it's a strand of them and a season of them. Maybe you've just royally messed up. You've stepped outside the lines, but not in a pursuing Jesus kind of way, in a pursuing of your own sinful desires. No matter what you've done or the choices you've made, hear me today that the rest is still unwritten. David, despite several more moral failures, leaves a legacy of being a man after God's own heart. May we all be a people 
known regardless of our mistakes by the grace God has poured out on us and as a people pursuing a heart like God's. The final character in scripture we're gonna be looking at today is Daniel, if you wanna flip to chapter six or just follow along on the screen. First, an overview of this faithful servant of God, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army ransacked Jerusalem, taking captive several teenagers from Israel. Daniel is one of those teenagers. It was, uh, it's believed that he was about 13 or 14, so very young and impressionable. He was put through a rigorous three-year training and re-education process uh, to learn the traditions and the culture uh, of the pagan Babylonian um, culture, and he still remains faithful to God through it all. Time and time again, he refuses to compromise his faith and does not ever break his religious tradition that is consistent with his convictions and faithfulness to God. You may have seen drawings of Daniel as a strapping young man in the midst of pacing hungry lions, maybe like this. What is more accurate, uh, it is believed that Daniel was actually in his early 80s, at the time he was thrown into to the den of lions and where we're picking up the story here in verse 10. Uh, follow along with me now. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Um, the decree is King Darius, he's old now, so no longer King Nebuchadnezzar. We are now King Darius decrees that anyone who prays or uh, worships any god besides him will be thrown into the den. And this is like his immediate Response, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, as in anyone could see him. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel keeps his traditions. And hear me when I say some traditions are worth keeping. He knew the cost. Now, I don't think that 80-year-old Daniel, who had faithfully been serving the Lord, thought, God is so gonna like close those mouths of the lions and I'm gonna be just fine. I believe that Daniel knew by getting on his knees and publicly praying to his God that he would be killed, a, a terrible death by ravenous lions. If you go on, that's not how the story goes. And what does God do? He shuts the mouths of the lions. Daniel is unharmed and because of this act of faith, a new decree is issued. This is from the mouth of King Darius. I issue a new decree in every part of my kingdom. People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel dares greatly. As a result, he changes his story. He also changes the story for every person under the reign of King Darius. If you think your story is just your story, think again. Our lives are connected, and your story has a direct and immediate impact on the people around you. What do all these stories have in common? They're about individuals who stepped out in faith and as a result changed their story. Faith in action activates the power of Jesus. Ruth, David, and Daniel, their stories have been written. 
It's awesome that we have access to reading them, but they're done. If you are listening to this message today, the rest of your story is unwritten. In my life, there have been times where I felt God was asking me to do something, asking me to step up in faith. There have been other times where I asked God, what do you want me to do? Help me, what's the right choice? And I felt deep in my spirit him saying, choose. He has created us to be uh, like him, creative, and we get to co-author our stories, whether it's him asking me to do something or me pursuing and him saying, you get to choose, child. In both scenarios, I have choice. You have choice. And God can use us wherever we are to make an impact on his kingdom. Let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. Now, while Natasha Bedingfield wrote this, it was certainly uh, in reference to the large light and heat source in the sky. Uh, but for the purpose of preaching today, I want you to hear that S-O-N. Let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find, as in the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, alive and made new to us through his Holy Spirit as we earnestly seek and pursue him. What if we let the sun illuminate the words that we could not otherwise find? What if we process decisions through the lens of Jesus, seeking guidance and discernment from his Holy Spirit? After college, uh, I worked at the same job for 11 years. It was a seismic testing laboratory. Uh, we had manufacturers from all over the world ship their equipment to our triaxial hydraulic shake table, and we would simulate an earthquake, send it back, and certify it, or not certify it, uh, based on how it performed on this table. It's a pretty niche job, but after 11 years, I got really good at it. And it was pretty easy money, and it was good money, and I had benefits for my family, and it was flexible. When your clients are all over the world, you work from home, or the coffee shop, or from Hawaii. You, you have the margin, right, to just take your laptop wherever you go. So this, uh, having young children, this was my life, and this is when I felt the initial nudge to quit my job. Which, if you're like, why? Yeah, me too. That's why I didn't for like a year. I put this off. Over the 11 years that I was at my job, I remained uh, a faithful and dedicated student of scripture. I hosted a women's Bible study in my home. Uh, I frequently would teach at local Bible studies when asked. And I pretty much just in my own personal prayer life said, Lord, if you open a door for me, I'll say yes and I'll walk through it. And these opportunities came and came and came. So when I felt the initial nudge to leave my job, it was around the same time that my family and I began attending Abundant Life Church. Uh, over the year where I wrestled with quitting um, my job is when we got more and more plugged in and we grew to just know and love people here. It was a really obvious choice to call this place home. In July of 2018, I went to a prayer gathering where strangers... There were a couple people I knew, but the majority of them were strangers, shifted the prayer time and focused on me, laying hands on me, saying things like, God, I sense you are preparing Aaron for something new. Another woman I'd never met said, God, I sense you are wanting to make uh, and give Aaron a louder voice. I'm just like tears pouring down my 
face like, what's next, Jesus? Help me. Uh, it was August of 2018, that very next month, that I submitted my resignation letter at my job, not knowing what was next. It was scary. I actually, earlier this week, I went back to that letter and I looked at the date marked on it and it was August 18th of 2018. Here we are today, August 18th, and oh my gosh, what a year. In the week that I gave my resignation, leadership from this church approached me asking if I would be the pastor over women's ministries, to which I said, okay, <laughs> Jesus, help me. Natasha Bedingfield says, feel the rain on your skin. When I stopped defaulting to the comfort, the safety, the shelter, the life I had built and created and allowed myself to feel the rain, I came alive. Has it been an easy transition? No. Sometimes before getting up here, do I feel physically sick? Yeah. <laughs> Co-authoring a Jesus-driven and purpose-driven life is hard. It's uncomfortable. It can be messy. And there is no place I would rather be than right here. When inhibitions prevent you from pursuing the will of God, we have almosts. What inhibitions do you need to release today? How can you start living with arms wide open, stepping out in faith to write a new story? Living a life in pursuit of Jesus doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. There's grace when we follow Jesus, and sometimes that means breaking cultural tradition based on his prompting and guidance and thinking and acting outside the lines of social norms just like Jesus did. I said only three characters, but I feel like when it's Jesus, you get to just spontaneously add a fourth. So we are gonna look in Mark chapter seven when some Pharisees and religious scholars gathered around Jesus and his disciples, noticing that they didn't prescribe the Jewish uh, ritual of hand washing before they ate their meal. Well, they're outraged, and this is what goes down. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, this is Jesus replying. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. God looks at the heart. When Pharisees were rigid and refused to work on the Sabbath, Jesus performed miracles and healing on the Sabbath. When the culture undervalued women, Jesus gave a voice to and empowered women. When the culture undervalued children, Jesus said, let the children come to me. Jesus befriended the outsider, the outcast, those hurting, those on the fringes of society. What if like Jesus, we were a people willing to risk our own comfort and security to love others better? This is why I love the mission statement of this church, giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. I wanna close by sharing some, of, some examples of people that I personally know, uh, several of whom are in this immediate church family. Nick and Sarah chose to open their home and love on a foster daughter. 
Every day is uncertain. Uh, she's been with them almost a year. And they, I have watched, pour their love out on this child despite the uncertainty of her future. And day by day, they are sacrificing to love her well. Jesse and Sarah chose to leave amazing jobs and community and family, and they uprooted their family and moved to another state to pursue a life in full-time ministry. Nikki chose to leave her meth addiction behind. She is 12 years sober, and I had the honor and privilege of baptizing her this year. She is more, yeah, that deserves a woo. She is more freed up than ever now to love on the people around her. Tracy chose to quit her job so she could stay home with her kids in their formative years. Nick is a dentist. He chooses to perform one month of a year free dental treatment to people in the developing world who could not otherwise afford it. After Alicia's son was diagnosed with autism, she learned as much as she could to get him the help that he needed. And as she saw things working, she wrote a book to help and inspire and encourage people walking through a similar diagnosis. Brad is an engineer who has given his life to ministry, designing safety, life safety buildings in the developing world for countries who could otherwise not have access to the engineering, the, architect, the architecture that it requires to build and construct a life safety building. The list goes on and on and on, and these are real people with real stories. I asked, I reached out and asked each of these individuals if I could share their stories, and guess what they all said? Yes, I'm honored. I love the life that I'm co-authoring with Christ. I'm proud of my pursuit of Jesus and the way I'm letting him direct my path. Feel the rain on your skin. Stop seeking the safety and the shelter. Feel the rain. Release your inhibitions. No one can speak the words on your lips. Your story is unique. Every person is unique. Your gifts, your experience, you have a mark to leave on this world, and only you can leave your mark. Are you living an incredible story? If not, I leave you with wise words from Natasha Benningfield. The rest is still unwritten. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the way you make yourself available to us through your Holy Spirit. God, there are people in this room watching online, hearing this message. They've been walking with you for a long time. There are other people who are trying to figure you out and this whole uh, pursuit of you, Jesus, seems foreign and strange. No matter who is listening today, God, may every person be aware of your presence, your love for them, and the truth that you have a purpose for their life. Lord, may we earnestly pursue you. Thank you for allowing us not to be your puppets, but to be co-authors of our stories. Help us to write and live great ones. In Jesus' name, amen.